Well, I have the privilege and the unenviable task of trying to close out our Ruth series this morning. Give me a wave if you've loved going through Ruth book by book, chapter by chapter. Who thinks we should do more series like this? Series, is that the right word? Anyway, it's fine from there. And look, I've absolutely loved getting to explore the different aspects. And I'll go through a bit of a recap if you haven't been here over the last few weeks. But what's been previously mentioned, whilst the book of Ruth is really, really short, there's so much in there. And what hopefully has emerged over this series is the overarching theme that it's about God's story of redemption. Amen. In the first week of the series, Pastor Charles really brought out the point from Ruth chapter 1. The bitterness is not the end of our story when we have Jesus Christ. In that chapter, we're introduced to a person by the name of Naomi who through a series of tragic events has become bitter. But we're also introduced to another character by the name of Ruth who stays with her mother-in-law after herself has lost her husband. And what we explored was that Ruth was a Moabite woman, which meant that she was from a completely different culture to Naomi. But she still chose to stay. And at the end of that chapter, we see Naomi and Ruth ending up in Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest. In our second week, Jasmine looked at Ruth chapter 2 and the idea of active participation in what God was doing. And it really shone through how God continues to provide dignity for us. In this chapter, Jasmine also introduced us to another character by the name of Boaz, who was a relation of Naomi's husband, who acknowledged Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 verse 10 to 12 which includes this verse which we're going to circle back to later. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. And then last week, Pastor Charles really unpacked how chapter 3 of this book, it's a beautiful turnaround of the story and looked at how Ruth took the initiative and watched her approach and both Ruth and Boaz were integrous in the process. And where we left the story last week was here. Boaz let Ruth know that there was a family redeemer who was actually more closely related to her than he was. But then he gives her an incredible gift of six measures of barley, which is an incredible, generous provision for Naomi. And Ruth goes back to Naomi and report all that has happened. So today, that's where we're picking up the story from. Are we ready to get into it, church? And as both Pastor Charles and Jasmine have also pointed out, the story of Ruth really does follow a classical plot structure that it moves from crisis to complication, to resolution. And what has hopefully been clear and emerged over this series together is that ultimately this has been a story of redemption. So in our time together today, let's take a look at Ruth chapter 4 and we're also going to see how Naomi, Ruth and Boaz's stories all resolve. But before we dive into chapter 4, one of the things that really jumped out at me whilst I was preparing this message was that the book of Ruth simply isn't just a story. It's actually an historical account. Naomi, Ruth and Boaz were real people who lived. And sometimes I think we can miss that because we're so removed from the original Hebraic audience that we would have grown up with this story as a part of the Talmud. The book of Ruth is still actually read as a part of traditional Jewish celebrations to this day, most notably the Feast of Weeks. And often when we approach an Old Testament story, we approach it from a Western mindset which looks at it through reading a philosophical lens point. But we could actually miss what we're reading really did happen. That Ruth, Naomi and Boaz weren't just fictitious people, but they were real like us. And as such, this is a story of God's great redemptive love for real people like you and I. 
Because redemption is simply not just a story. It's a reality. So as we approach this final chapter of Ruth together today, why don't we take a moment to stand, to focus our thoughts and to ask the Holy Spirit to continue to minister. So if you'd like to stand up with me, let's pray before we get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're here this morning with us. Lord, as we bring this series to a close, speak to us through this chapter. Let your holy and living word minister to us today, Father. Let us have ears to hear what you're saying through this text. Any distractions we ask that you remove right now, help our minds to focus and to really listen deeply. Settle our souls, Father, this morning as we come around your word. In your precious and holy name, amen. Amen. You may sit down. Apologies in advance as well for my slightly Jerry Seinfeld-esque nasally voice. My little boy is so good at sharing. He shares everything with me, including his cold that he got this week. So don't come too close to me. I'm not infectious anymore, but I apologize in advance. There's no filters we could put on the microphone to remove my nasliness. So look, you're just going to have to deal with it. That's fine. But as we look at chapter four of Ruth together today, we'll be specifically looking at the main characters that we've already met over the last few weeks because I think it's important to bring conclusion to their stories. But we're also going to introduce one new character who we haven't met yet until this chapter. So let's start with Boaz, who we looked at last week. At the start of this chapter, we find Boaz heading off to the city gates where a lot of business and community was conducted in antiquity to meet with the closer family redeemer he spoke about in chapter 3 to Ruth. Upon meeting the family redeemer, Boaz lets him know what the situation is regarding Ruth and the land. And so let's pick up the conversation together, starting in Ruth chapter 4, verse 3. And whilst I'm a fan of the ESV, which Pastor Charles mentioned last week and did a little dance, I'm actually going to be reading from a different translation today. I'm going to be reading from the CSB, which is a great halfway point. So if you have it, look it up, just saying. But anyway, Ruth chapter 4, verse 3, let's kick it. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Emelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you don't want to redeem it, tell me so that I'll know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you'll acquire Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right to redemption, because I can't redeem it. Let's pause here for a quick moment. What a difference we see in Boaz's response in chapter 3, where he conducts himself with integrity and seeks to put Ruth and Naomi first by his gift to them, which would have been very costly back then. And we juxtapose that to the closer family redeemer who he just met, who was all about getting more land, until he realizes it's not going to cost him, it's not only going to cost him financially, but it will also cost him from a societal perspective as well. Boaz is seeking to put others before himself, where the closer family redeemer is seeking to put himself first. When looking at this text, we would all love to say that we more closely identify with Boaz in this story. But if we're being honest with each other, sometimes we're probably more like the closer family redeemer. We're happy to help out when it feels like we're getting a good deal and it doesn't cost us much. But as soon as it begins to cost us something that we're more than willing to pay, our response can change. Boaz knew the cost. 
not only from a financial perspective, but also from a societal one by choosing to perpetuate another man's name. And on top of that, he has to take on the responsibility that came along with being the family redeemer. But he still chooses to do it. It should also be noted that in this story, under traditional laws of the time, there was no legal obligation on either Boaz or the closer family redeemer to participate in the practice of Levirate marriage. So this was a debt that neither of them legally had to take on and pay. And in one of the great ironies of this story, and a few of you may have picked up on this as well, we never actually learn the closer family redeemer's name. In the original Hebrew, the closer family redeemer's name is almost like a rhyme that the ancient audiences would have been familiar with. And in our modern language, it roughly translates to Mr. So-and-so. And the great irony of this is that in seeking to protect his own family name and putting himself first, he actually becomes nameless. And his name is not recorded in this story. And he misses out on being a part of what God was doing through Ruth and Naomi's lineage. Which begs the question that we can glean from Boaz and Mr. So-and-so's story. Where are we seeking to serve ourselves first and inadvertently undermining God's best interests for us? And as we touched on before, it can be easy to do something when we don't know what it's going to cost us. Because sometimes when we find out it's going to cost us a lot, it actually becomes scary. And if we take this thought a step further, following Jesus and seeking to love others will actually require us to put others before ourselves. I recently got to go over to New Zealand for a family holiday, which was awesome. And yes, because I'm a nerd, myself, Talisha and the family did indeed go to Hobbiton. And yes, it's as awesome as you all think. And no, we didn't fit inside the Hobbit holes. But that's a story for another time. But one of the highlights of this trip was I got to spend some time with my papa, Campbell, which is actually where Deacon gets his middle name from, and my nana, Carol. Pop and Nan have an awesome story about following the radical call of God on their lives, which included moving countries, repurposing and planting churches, amongst other awesome moves of the Holy Spirit. And one day I actually got to hear their story from them, and I got to spend a couple of hours just asking questions, sitting in the backyard going, tell me about your story. And what emerged from their story was that it wasn't always easy. And there was often a cost, both financially, sometimes emotionally, at other times relationally. And a lot of times it required putting others before themselves. But what emerged through their story as I had this conversation was this. Through it all, God used their obedience, faithfulness, and they saw incredible things. And to this day, they still walk with their saviour and they're still telling people about him in their nurse in their nursing home. Our faith will cost us something. But we serve a saviour who loved each of us so much that he took on a debt that wasn't his, that was ours and he paid it for us. Our saviour through his redeeming love is extended to all of us sitting in this room today. And in a society that tells us to put ourselves before others and to only worry about what affects us personally, what a way we, as followers of Jesus, can show an alternative that points to our Heavenly Father, amen? Imagine if instead of seeking what we want and putting ourselves first, we actually ask God, what does he want us to do? And imagine the impact that would have. Simply just look at the impact God had through Boaz. Instead of losing his name like Mr. So-and-so, as we see in verse 11, the elders state over Boaz 
may your name be famous. And as we see in a little bit, as we keep going through this chapter, that's exactly what happens in a pretty profound way. So let's keep going and let's open back up our Bibles and let's jump into verse 11 together. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrata and your name be well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, born to Judah, because the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. Here we pick up Ruth's story again. She's now married to Boaz, her family has been redeemed and she is now with child. What a far cry when we met her in chapter 1 where she was widowed and without a child. Yet through her journey, what really stands out about Ruth is her steadfast love and faithfulness to her mother-in-law Naomi. When all the other daughters were given the option to leave, they did. But Ruth stayed and went to a foreign land where the God of the Israelite people redeemed her. And this is a significant point to stop on for a moment. We in this room are not Israelites. To use biblical language, we're Gentiles. And Ruth's story should fill us with hope because in it we see through faith people who were not Israelites could be brought into the people of God and accepted which in the ancient culture was a really big deal. For us, we can take the fact for granted that we're welcome into God's family through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. But at the time of Ruth, this hadn't happened yet. And in this story, we see pieces of God's great redeeming love for all of his people, both Jew and Gentile. This idea is echoed by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 56, which speaks about a house of prayer for all, especially highlighted in verse 6 to 8, which we'll read. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God, who gathers a dispersed Israel. I will gather them still others besides those already gathered. In Ruth's story, we see her being welcomed into the family of God. And through her lineage, which we'll get to later, we see her actually being a part of God's great redemptive plan for all of us. But what I wanted to draw out of Ruth's story in chapter 4 for all of us this morning is Ruth's steadfast love and faithfulness to Naomi and how God used Ruth in Naomi's redemptive plan. As Pastor Charles highlighted last week as well, when everyone else left Naomi, Ruth stayed. When Naomi asked Ruth to go to Boaz, she went. She trusted even when she didn't know what would happen. And through Ruth's trust and obedience, Naomi and her family, including Ruth, are redeemed. And as I was praying and reading this particular part of the text, what I felt emerge was this question. How can we ask God to use us in his plan for someone else's redemption? Ruth was faithful to Naomi in the big things, like going to Boaz. But she was also faithful in the small things, like going to work. And through that, God used her to help be a part of his plan of redemption. And I think for some of us here, especially myself, 
We love the idea of being a part of a big radical move of God that leads to someone accepting Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And this can and does happen. But God can also use the less exciting parts of our life as well for his glory. And are we being faithful in those moments just as much the big moments? A great example of this really is, and you've all heard it before, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. If we say to someone we're going to do something, let's bear people that do it. And let's see what God does through our faithfulness. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, let's be clear, how we live our life says a lot about him to other people. Certainly in my own life, there have been many different people that God has brought along and they've had profound effects on me. One of the people that comes to mind, and I'm sure you have many people that come to your mind as well, is my friend Jean, who some of you may have met. Jean used to come to this church for many years. And many, many moons ago when I was in a different place, I called him very early one morning, or very late depending on how you look at it, it's a matter of perspective, to come pick me up from St Kilda Beach where I was so I could stay at his place and go to church next morning. In the middle of the night, he got up and he drove, to Bays, drove from Bayswater where he was living to St Kilda to come and find me so I could stay at his place and get to church. I think of people like my dad. If you ever need anything, you call and he's there. People like my Uncle Max, and the list goes on and on and on. Who, no matter what, when you call them, there's no strings attached. They're there to help. And I'm sure for each of us in this room, we know people like this. But the challenge for us today is, will we be like those people? How can we be a people that God uses in his plan of redemption for someone else? In the person of Ruth, we see someone who was there for Naomi even after she had lost her husband. We see a beautiful picture of love. And for us here today, we have the benefit of existing in a time where we have no better example of that love than in the person of Jesus Christ, whose lineage, as we'll see a little bit later on in this chapter, can actually be traced back to Ruth. We never know what God will do with your faithfulness in someone else's life. Perhaps for some of us, we've been praying for prodigals to come home or work colleagues to meet Jesus. And the best thing we could do is not lecture them about Jesus, but perhaps it's to live a life that points to him, a life that is integrous, faithful, kind, and truly seeks to love others more than ourselves as we see here. If we can live out and show a different way, don't be surprised if people ask questions about what is different about you. And who knows where that will lead. Not every moment will be glamorous, huge or easy. And you won't always know where we're, what we're doing or where we're going as Ruth didn't. But if our prayer truly is this, God, can you use us in your plan for someone else's redemption? Be prepared for what that could look like, church. Like Boaz, it could be more costly in more ways than just money. Like Ruth, it could involve greater levels of faithfulness and trust. You could be the person driving to St Kilda at 3am to pick someone up in the morning. But never underestimate the impact that God can have on someone because of that level of care and faithfulness. Amen? Ultimately, in Ruth's redemption, we see the great plan of redemption at work, not only just for herself or Naomi, but for all of us. But before we get there, there's one more person in this story to have a look at this morning, which some scholars actually argue is the main character in this story, which is Naomi. 
So let's pick the story together up again in verse 14 and read. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Side note, that is a huge compliment in the ancient world. But we'll continue on. Has, birth, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap and became a mother to him. The neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, before we jump ahead to the significance of Obed's grandson, let's explore the end of Naomi's story together. Here we see the culmination of her story as she's being redeemed by Boaz through Ruth, who for 10 years, Ruth could not bear a son. And through the Lord's direct intervention in 13, she has one. What is also interesting, if we cast our minds back to week one, we remember Naomi having a conversation with some local women in Bethlehem in chapter 1, verse 19, where Naomi tells them to call her bitter, and that she went away full but has returned empty. But what a flip side we see. Now we see her having another conversation in this passage with some women in Bethlehem, and what a different set of circumstances she's in. In chapter 1, she had lost everything and was bitter. But now we see her fully restored as she holds her grandson. God had not forgotten her. And as I was preparing this message, I felt like for some people here or online, you feel like God has forgotten you. Life has not worked out how you thought it would. Finances are tighter than you'd like. Your marriage isn't where you want it to be. And you feel like life is just not where you thought it would be at this point. And if we're honest, you feel forgotten by God. But this morning, if that's you and you don't take anything else away from this series, please remember this. God has not forgotten you and he will not abandon you. You may be in a place right now where you feel bitter, but God can and he will restore you. He has not forgotten those things you pray for and hold deep in your heart. He loves you as a son or a daughter. And no matter what, he will always be there for you. All you need to do is seek him. Amen. In Naomi's story, we see that God did not forget her. And the point that I wanted to draw from the conclusion of Naomi's story is this. Sometimes redemption takes time. Let's be honest with each other here this morning. Waiting can be hard especially when we don't know what the outcome's going to be. Amen? And this is only exacerbated by the fact that we live in an instant society where if you ordered something right now off Amazon, it'll probably be at your door by the time you got home. And no, that's not permission to order something on your phones right now. But it's worth noting because in our current societal moment, we're not good at waiting for anything because we're conditioned to not have to wait for anything. Which is also, if we're really honest... Why the call to follow Jesus is so hard in the modern life? The call to follow Jesus is not an overnight process. It's a lifelong process. It's not something you could simply go, cool, I'm going to pay X amount of dollars and be done for you. Jesus actually requires all of us. And it's hard. There's a great book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in One Direction that I'm reading at the moment. And he highlights this. What does it look like as followers of Jesus to have a life of faithfulness? 
And when we look at this text, that jumped out at me because once again, redemption takes time. And this is a really hard truth and some of you may get fired up at me, but that's fine. But I'm sorry to tell you, God does not work on your schedules. For Naomi, her redemption wasn't overnight. It took years. But throughout all of those years, God had not forgotten her and he had a plan to redeem her. And it's often on that journey to being redeemed and seeing God's plan for our lives unfold that we're actually formed on that journey. And there are countless examples throughout the Bible that's happening. And dare I say it, if we think about our own lives, we've probably got examples of when those hard times where God forms us. And it's a process of formation, but God's plan become evident in life. We realize we've actually been formed in the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If someone had come up to me eight years ago, and some of you may not know this, I wasn't always working for a church. Hard to believe because the tattoos are covered today. And I've got chinos, so it's a whole other story. But I used to work in the motorcycle industry. I liked selling motorbikes. It was great. People would come in, they'd give me money, I'd give them a motorbike, I'd make commission, everyone was happy. I was going to do another joke there, but I'll keep moving on. If you want a motorbike, see Darren after the service, so it's fine. But I worked for eight years, so I worked in different industries, different motorcycle industries. If eight years ago, if you'd walked into the motorcycle shop and said to me, hey, Geordie, you're not going to work in the motorcycle industry forever. God's got something completely different for your life. I probably would have laughed at you and asked you to leave the store politely because you never know, you might buy something. But if we think about it, and the point I'm highlighting through this, if we think about where God has led us, if we look where we were to where we end up, there is no way we could have known that. If you ask the teachers that I went to school with at Plenty Valley, if you told them Geordie would one day become a minister, they would 100% laughed at you. In fact, I went and spoke at a chapel at Plenty Valley and guess what happened? All the teachers that were still there heard on the grapevine and they all appeared just to watch this. <laughs> one of them came up to me and go, bro, I never thought you'd end up here. I said, you and me both, let's have a laugh, so it's fine. But as I look back now from that point to where we arrive at now, and I encourage you to do this exercise in your own life, God takes you on an incredible journey. You see things that don't make sense. For Pastor Charles... I can guarantee you as he's preaching in WA this morning, there is no way he could have known in 2015 that Hope Tour would be in WA. There is no way we could have known Hope Tour would continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. But along that journey, God had to actually form us in the process. If you told us that in 2015, it would have scared Pastor Charles and I would have never come on staff going, that's way too much work, so it's fine. And if you told me back in the motorcycle shop that this is where I'd end up, I also probably would have said no. But the point is along the way, through God's faithfulness and his goodness, he forms us. Knowing what I know now, and if someone had gone back and told me that at the shop, I would not change a thing. And I'd love to tell you this morning, guys, a life with Jesus is super easy. Nothing but sunshine and roses and good vibes. I'd love to tell you that. I really would. The second-hand motorcycle salesman in me would love to tell you that as well for 1299 finance. But I'm going to be real with you. It's not always easy. But there is nothing greater than God's great redemptive plan for all of us sitting in this room or online. Amen. And I believe that's true for all of us here today. I believe for some of us that are sitting here, you may be in the middle of a hard time right now. But remember, 
God has not and will not forget you. You may be on a journey that takes days, weeks, months, or even years, but every single step of the way, God will be with you, just like he was for Naomi and Ruth. And as we touched on at the start of this message, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz aren't fictitious characters. They're people that lived and breathed. So when we see God's love, goodness, faithfulness, and redemption towards them, the good news for us here today is that same love, goodness, and faithfulness and redemption extends to us. But before we move on to the final passage of Ruth 4 and close out this series, I might invite Andy back up on keys if I could, please. I want to take another look together at the significance of verse 14 to 17. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighborhood woman said, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed is a shortened version of Obadiah, which means servant of the Lord. And as we read the phrase, He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, in the context of the time that this story is taking place, Obed, as the son of Boaz and Ruth, would go on to become Naomi's family redeemer who would provide for her needs as she got older and older. As we see in verse 16, that Naomi would care for him as well and that would complete the redemptive arc. And at the start of the book of Ruth, Naomi had lost everything. But because of God, she's now redeemed and as a family once again. And as we see in verse 17, there was more to this story. As Obed becomes the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, which brings us to the final passage of Scripture in Ruth. And I apologize in advance for all the names I'm about to butcher. Reading together from verse 18. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amadab. Amadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And whilst this may seem like a lot of names that have no bearing to us at all as modern readers, what the author of Ruth actually doing is here is limping Obed's genealogy backwards from Genesis 38, where Perez is born, through, Perez is born right through to King David who was God's answer to the days of anarchy and famine that we see the book of Ruth set in. All throughout this little story, God had an answer for what was going on around them from a societal perspective as well. But as Pastor Charles and Jasmine have alluded to over the past few weeks, the book of Ruth is not just a story of Ruth and Boaz or even Naomi. It actually points to a much larger overarching story of God's great redemptive plan and love for all of us by sending the greatest redeemer of all, not just for Israel, but for all of us sitting in this room and online. And we see this overarching plan in Jesus's genealogy in Matthew 1 verse 1 to 16, which includes Boaz's mother, Rahab. Yes, that Rahab. Obed, King David, but then it goes all the way through to Joseph. God has always had a plan for our salvation. 
And because of Him, redemption isn't simply just a story. It's a reality that each of us can experience here today. I might ask you all to stand with me and I'll invite the rest of the band back up as well. In the book of Ruth, and over the past few weeks of this series, we've seen God's goodness, faithfulness, love, and ultimately His redemptive plan at work. And no matter where you're at on that journey here this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience God's goodness and His redemption in just a moment. But before I do, I'm going to get the lights down if I could please, Russ. I didn't want to move on without allowing time and a place for those to respond who may feel like they're on the journey, but they're lost and they're unsure of where to go to next. And you actually need to just have a moment with God. Because God hasn't forgotten you. You may feel that there's no resolution on the journey you're on. But if we learn anything from this text, it's that God loves you and He has a redemptive plan for you in all situations. So simply go and just to ask everyone to close their eyes for privacy. And if you'd like prayer for this this morning, you need to say, hey, I just need to hear from God no matter where I'm at in this journey. Give me a wave because I'd love to pray with you before we move on. Awesome. Great, great. Awesome. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great redemptive love. We thank you, Father, that when we can't see what's going on, Father, you have a plan. And for all of those that are here this morning, Father, that need to know that you're with them as well, that they haven't been forgotten, Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to them this morning. Give them direction what the next step of that plan looks like. Give them guidance. Give them wisdom. Give them boldness, Father, to step out. Lord, I pray for greater levels of trust and faithfulness for those people, Father. That no matter what, Lord, you're going to be with them every step of the way. Lord, I pray that in the moments, even when we don't know what you're doing, we'll simply trust. Lord, I thank you that you don't abandon any of us. I thank you that you love each of us so intimately and deeply, Father. Lord, I thank you for all those people that put their hand up. They're going to see such a great story of you as you take them on there, Father, as you invite them onto that journey. They're going to stand in places. They're not going to know how they got there, but they know it's your goodness. Father, I feel to pray for all the people that are lifting up prodigals this morning, Father. Lord, we ask for tables to be full of restored and redeemed families, Father. We ask that prodigals will come home where there's any sort of disconnection, Father. We actually ask that there's reconnection, Lord. That through the journey of formation and process, Father, everyone will be formed and ultimately welcomed into your kingdom. Let our tables, Father, be places of healing. We love you so much, Father. Amen. Now I'm going to get you all keep your eyes closed as well. Because not all of us here today or online may have accepted Jesus, who was God's ultimate redemptive plan and have entered into a relationship with Him. And if that's you, I wanted to give you an opportunity today because simply put, it is the greatest decision you will ever make. And I know because without God's love, forgiveness, mercy and grace, I would not be standing before you today. So if that is you, once again, we've got every eye closed just for privacy. I'd love you to give me a wave. So.